Happy Valentine's Day, and welcome to Dante's Old South. I am Clifford Brooks, and today on the show, we're talking about artists and autistics. Before we begin, I want to thank So Far Sounds of Atlanta for all the music you'll hear tonight. And if you haven't already, please check out Autism Speaks of Georgia and Tennessee. If you have questions, need services, or simply wish to support Autism Speaks, head on over to www.autismspeaks.org. But before you do, let's settle into tonight's show with Let Me Down Gently by Yale Fanto. So gentle. 
First up at bat, we have artist extraordinaire Jesse Bean Bailey. Jesse, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How about yourself? I cannot complain, thank you. Well, I mean, I could, but nobody wants to hear that. Now, as I understand, you were a uh, 10-year resident of Chattanooga. Uh, where did you move before that? I was living in Portland, Oregon for about four years before that, but I'm originally from the Mississippi Delta. All right, all right. Um, now, you've... you've Worked in several artistic mediums, but now you're in ceramics, correct? Yes, that is correct. What was it about ceramics that drew you to it? Ooh, well, I guess with ceramics, it's kind of, when I first was attracted to it, it was very meditative for me. So it was the first time that really I ever created anything and really got into the zone and through that, my love for craft just grew. Okay. Um, now, to back up a step, uh, where did you spend your childhood? And, and like, I mean, where did you first get the fire that you knew that you wanted to create? It, well, it was not when I was a, a kid. I guess I, I mean, I was creative as a kid, but uh, growing up in the middle of nowhere, uh, I just was not really exposed to much of anything. Uh, I mean, my parents were creative, but I didn't have, I didn't have any art classes at school, so I just never imagined that as a career. And uh, I guess it was when I started college early, and when I was 18, I decided that I wanted to drop out, and my mom made me take an art class. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, originally, I wanted to take photography, but it was full, so I took, she told me to take a pottery class, which I was very against, but I did it, and it uh, really changed the path of my life. Right. I mean, is we often talk about the, the therape therapeutic and, and focusing uh, attributes of art. Have you found that to be true in your case? Yes. For, I guess, it goes back and forth with me. It depends on what I'm making. So when it became a business, sometimes it doesn't always feel that way. Uh, so it's trying to find that balance in between what is making you money and what is also making you happy in there. <laughs> right. And and I think that when people, they hear that, you know, they think that it's exclusively to artists because I feel that way. But it's when you bring the, the business element into it, um, it can, as far as I... I see it that that oftentimes that obligation to create can kind of choke off the the creative spark, you know. And so finding that balance is enormously important. How did you kind of strike that fifty fifty between obligation and art? Ooh, I'm 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 still working on that. Uh, so I have a business where I'm just trying to 
to explore with it more. So just trying to make time to also be try new things and be creative with it where I'm not necessarily worried about will this make money, but just, yeah, just trying to grow in different ways. Um, and I also am interested in different mediums, so through that as well, I can feel like I can grow as an artist. <laughs> and that sets me up for my next question is like, what other mediums have you worked with in the past? Well, I went to school for glass, so I spent, I feel, I mean, I feel like longer in life I would have called myself a glass artist versus a ceramic artist. Uh, so that's something I'm still attracted to and want to work with. Um, I've also sewn a whole bunch, and for when I first moved to Chattanooga, I was sewing clo- clothing for a mm. while. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm interested. I just, I'm bad was where I want to like learn how to do everything instead of yeah. just hone into one uh, skill. But that also makes it where I'm I don't really get bored with things. So because you hear or I have, you know, you can't have two masters. You know, you have to pick one thing. But I have <laughs> yes. found that picking one thing can be uh, boring, or at least you can kind of get burnt out on that. So I understand, like you know, not having too many, of course, being too yes. spread out. You know, but selective diversification is also good in this field too. So, I mean, if, you know, what are the, like, do you do you have like two or three things that are like your mainstay? Uh, glass and ceramics are, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but even through that, like with ceramics right now, I'm like, oh, I want to learn how to make tile. And then glass is like, I also want to learn how to do neon. And those are two things in those mediums that I know nothing about, but also want to keep exploring. But I have, but since I have a background in both of them, it just makes it yeah. a little more approachable. Now, I want to scoot back around. You mentioned that you have a business here in Chattanooga. Tell us about that. Uh, it's called Bean and Bailey Ceramics, and it's all uh, functional, slip cast, colorful porcelain. Uh, yeah. Well, how do they find you online, or what's your address here in the city? Uh, uh, let's see. On You can find me on Etsy uh, with Bean and Bailey Ceramics. If you just search that, then there's also beanandbaileyceramics.com. Mm-hmm. And then Instagram, too, through there, Bean and Bailey Ceramics. Right on. Now, I love this question. In, in hindsight, that being 2020, what advice to succeed or get around some potholes that you fell into would you give those coming up? Ooh, I would say just don't, just don't get stagnant. It's very, that's very easy to do. Uh, and my business model was based on originally doing wholesale and I was even given that advice from someone in the past, like, oh, you don't want to go down the wholesale trap because you start making just the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is true. So you have to, <laughs> I feel like, just dedicate some of your time to creating new things or exploring new things because it will, in the long run, make you a lot happier. <laughs> in the long run, let's say five years down the road, where do you see yourself in your business? <laughs> I. I wish I knew. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't. I really have absolutely no idea. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm trying to. I applied for a scholarship to take this tile making workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I right now I imagine myself maybe making tile, but that's it. That's it. I mean, <laughs> and again, like it's not. It, 
is it that it, the, the, your, I feel that the plan sometimes needs a little elasticity. They, they, you need some wiggle room because, you know, like the fun things you get to find along the way when you don't just find one rigid path, you know, is, yeah. is, is that kind of how you work things? Yes. And then, yeah, with, I guess, yeah, with my business, uh, and then also having five-year plans, I've learned in life that not everything goes how you plan it. Right. And so uh, a little, a little background on my business. It was, it was started with my late husband, and so we received a grant to start this business, and we um, through make work here in Chattanooga mm-hmm. and. It was, we were combining like our love of design and craft and we had similar aesthetics. And so our business was growing and in 2018, he passed away. Hmm. And so I have been left in this space of like, do I keep the business going? Do I try to grow myself as an artist? Uh, Yeah, what do I concentrate on? So I'm kind of like, I'm in this weird transitional period of, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. So with five-year plans, I have absolutely no idea right now. Well, what I'd like to do in much less than five years is have you back on the show when you get some more traction under you to keep updated with you because what you're doing is fantastic and your art is phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. It was so cool to have you on the show, Jesse Bean Bailey. And before we bring on our next guest, let's listen to... Tangerine by Rubber. Like butterflies a mile apart I listen for your beating heart I didn't know you there in the church behind the square she was a vision in tangerine most beautiful creature I had ever seen everything went blurry I was in a dream eyes that like I wonder oh what could it mean my tangerine had the sweetest smile Asked if I could come over and sit a while Everything went quiet, not a sound for miles Sparrows and a turtle dove walk single file Down the aisle Give it all, take it You'll always think about me tenderly Even when we're tired and gray We'll always be Closer than I ever thought that we would want to see 
And now we're here with a repeat offender, Justin Butts, Chattanooga's premier artist and genius in the room. How are you doing, Justin? Great. How are you? Thanks for having me back. Um, since last May, man, uh, what's going to be going on in your life? Ah, uh, like presently or mm-hmm. between yeah. then and now? <laughs> Both, all of it, bro. Ah, uh, roller coaster. Uh, just life. I don't know. Right. Just a lot of uh, hustling. I did. Uh, Last time I saw you was for uh, Inside Outland. Uh-huh. And that, that wrapped up last, uh, was it fall? Uh-huh. That was good. It was, that was a long, hard road. Um, then just, you know, time's been sprinkled with some murals and just painting and trying to just go forward. When I watch on the social media, which I mean, it's I always know because everyone's on social media. But when I know that someone does it extremely well, like you do, it, the reason I mention that is because it's, I'm able to watch you grow and, and and tour. And and what I notice is what you just said. Like it was a long, it was a hard road. It was a long. You never sound weighted down by it, but you you're very aware that it's work. And I know that sounds silly to say, but when I watch you and I see it, it's. You see the labor of love because of the the art that you're able to bring out of that. Um, looking at the business of art, what is your approach to that? Um, business of art, as far as uh, making a living from yes. it, and uh, yes. okay, um, I think it's always uh, something. I'm not. I, I don't have it completely figured out. I don't know that I ever will. But um, you know, I, I think I'm more concerned with my own personal happiness than right. uh, than anything, and uh, that affects the people I care about's happiness around me. So right. I, I just try to stay happy and do, do, do and take jobs that make me 
feel fulfilled and I think time is very valuable and uh I don't know I just try to value my time and what I put my efforts into um you know that being said sometimes you have to take jobs Mm -hmm. that are you know frugal right yeah I mean give you more money than others uh but I try to try to weigh it out so right strike a balance between what you got to do and what you love to do yeah yeah now when you when you look at the or I, I try to what I want to do is find out like what inspires you so like what books and, and what music what, what are you into right now what books and music have really played into your creative spirit how does how does the those those genres play into your artwork huh. I'd say music uh is definitely a, an influence as far as uh feelings or emotions. Um, I think I, I listen to a lot of hip hop and R and B, but more like funk influenced stuff mm-hmm. um, or jazz influenced, and that kind of gets me going and pumped up. To I know it keeps me more in a positive state. Yeah. Um, I, I, my music taste is all over the place. Um, I don't know. I see you, ha- you have a Steve Earle poster, mm-hmm. which is a it's a funny poster. It's like that poster. It's like a skull with crossbones. It, that fan base has to be like what? uh copper copper what is it the copper town road or whatever yeah <laughs> that, that song is like not steve Earl to me no. it's so weird <laughs> like because i feel like it has way better songs than that right um yeah he just did like a towns he did a whole record covering towns vincent and uh that's really great i love towns um but so yeah musically all over the place uh books i'm reading uh uh wise blood uh-huh. by uh flannery Flannery O'Connor. Um, it's it's weird. It's weird one for me because it's got a bunch of ethnophilisms, which is like, um, I don't know. It's uh, it's crazy to read something from that era of time and like, it's like, is she racist or? Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, but that's just how it was, I guess. It's right. kind of, I don't know. Huh? You see those words and you're like, what? Whoa, yeah. But book's pretty good. It's yeah. Crazy about a. You read it? Yeah. 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 About a guy trying to start a church mm. that doesn't it's like a church without jesus it's right like yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, uh what else do you read right now to get into the spirit uh let's see i just finished um i don't know i'm re- i read like three books at a time so right. i'm like bouncing around that's the one i've been trying to finish right now some graphic novels um nothing crazy Right. Yeah, that's the main one right now. Does it does does like music and 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 reading kind of take you into neutral when you know when you're in a project and you need that brain space? Is that kind of where you go for white noise? Uh, definitely reading. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of how I wind my day down. It's reading. Now, when you first got started and you decided like this is what I want to do for a living, the business side of thing in numbers, who inspired you? Who did you go to as a mentor? Um. I don't say I, I wouldn't say I went to anyone. I, I would say I looked up to um, a few people. Uh, so when I was like 18, I started going, or I, I moved to downtown Birmingham. I lived in a, a suburb of Birmingham or grew up there. It's like 15 minutes outside of downtown. Um, so I started going there when I could, as soon as I could drive. And uh, so I met a pretty established artist down, down in Birmingham. His name's Paul Wilm. And uh, he just kind of took me under his wing when I was 18. You know, I was young and very impressionable. So right. um, 
I spent a lot of time with him and he was already established. He was uh, probably, I think he was like mid to late thirties and right. I was 18 and yeah. I, we were just hanging out all the time. And uh, I don't know, he had a big influence on me as far as seeing that someone could make a living from art or something. Cause growing up, it wasn't like art, being an artist wasn't like an option or wasn't, I wasn't never thought like, I didn't think that was like work or like a way to make a living, you know? Right. It was like you, you like, I don't know. My parents both worked for, uh, um, like my mom worked for Alabama power and my dad worked for a cable company. So right. it's kind of like they were still all, and then my grandparent like bell South and all that stuff. And yeah. It was like, oh, you're going to be, you know, like a teacher or artist or not an artist, but I mean like a, a dentist or whatever. Right. These are jobs. I right. didn't know artists was like an option. <laughs> so it was like, um, I don't know. When, seeing that it could be a way of living was like interesting to me because I was like, it just seems too fun to be. Right. You're, you're not, you know, everyone hates their jobs or whatever. So it's like you associate work with. Drudgery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I mean, when you, when you, once you've made the decision, I want to go even farther back. Once you made the decision to be a business person, I'm always interested in what people's opinion is, is, is like the, 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 the ratio of school learning to being self-taught. You know, how do you feel about that? Is like needing a degree, not needing a degree, or is there a balance? I don't think you need a degree to be an artist at all. Um, one, one reason I left Birmingham was because several galleries told me they wouldn't show my work because I didn't have a degree, which was odd. Right, because I, some, I mean, a lot of the best artists are not; they're self-taught. Um, I, I don't think you can personally. I don't think you can teach creativity, or, or you can't give someone passion for something. Right, or uh, I don't know. I don't think you need a degree, and I, I don't. Honestly, I've seen art degrees ruin a bunch of artists. As far as like, it's like, man, you don't even. All you can do is like. BS and and, mm-hmm. and make like a really long, drawn out explanation about something that it's just like you just talk. You know how to talk about art now, right? Not necessarily make it, and uh, so you know, I'm self-taught. I went to school, um, or college and dropped out, but I was a lit, lit major, um, and just you know, didn't see the point right. at the time because I was like, oh well, I want to do art and. I also don't want to have massive amounts of debt. Right, right, <laughs> right. That's probably the smartest decision any of us can make. Uh, have a great job and swimming out of debt are not cool. Um, when you look, I, I'm, I'm familiar only like your paintings. And, and are you into any other kind of mediums? Yeah, I like to, I like, you know, I just like creating and I like process and, you know, I, I love painting and it's, uh, I, lo- I love just, you know, making stuff. But specifically painting and drawing, and I just want to push it as far as I can with you know the time I have, and I feel like it's always developing, and uh, you know I don't know I, I don't think I'm ever satisfied with it, so I just you know like I keep poking it and prodding it, and <laughs> try to you know make it better. Um, as far as other mediums, yeah, like um, my uh, my girlfriend she does ceramic work, and uh, she's get, I'm gonna get into hopefully making cast slip cast and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I'm excited about that. Uh, I've, d- I've done a lot of woodwork. Huh. I built all my own frames. Uh, I've made some furniture, um, surprisingly still standing. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. 
Well, the excitement that you do have, do you have any upcoming shows or events that we need to keep our eye out for? Yeah, I actually have uh, something coming up I'm really excited about. Uh, my friend Al, we do a show together together every year. Nice. He's out in L.A., um, but we just do this reoccurring show each year, and it's just, we call it, we're, we're the same age, so it's just, the, it's just our age. So this year it'll be 33, mm-hmm. and uh, he's coming here this year. So we've done the last three in L.A., Right. Um, but he's coming there here this year, and uh, it'll be next month uh, on the 20th and 21st of March. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. And we'll do some collab collaborative work. And uh, he's a good friend. And uh, we both kind of have seen each other grow from, you know, slumming it to, you know, a little higher end of slumming it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Well, to wrap up this segment, man, when you look back on your career now and what you have, and of course you have a long time to go and, and produce, hopefully, but when you, as it is now, what are some of your proudest or, or most fulfilling moments as, as your life as an artist? Um, hmm. Fulfilling. Uh, I'd say every time I finish something, it feels, I feel fulfilled, um, but proudest. I don't know. I don't know. Proudest, I think, is when when my uh, just if my grandparents say they're proud of me uh, or family member or friend, I, mm. it's like I don't know. It's uh, hearing someone say they're proud of you feels like great uh-huh. when they're like close to you and right, have right. seen where you come from. Yeah, feels man. good. <laughs> well, Justin Butts, we loved having you on the show, and I will bring you back again if you'll have me. Yeah, yeah, anytime, anytime. All right, brother. All right, so to continue your conversation about autism, I guess uh, now, Cliff, it's your turn to be in the chair and to be interviewed, so I will be doing that for you. My name is Haley Solomon. I work here at WUTC. I've been interviewed before, so it's nice to turn the tables on you. <laughs> I guess to start off, the the simplest and most obvious question is just what was it like to grow up with autism? Um. It's uh, it, it's different to get a, it's hard to get a beat on because you don't want to make it sound too melodramatic or be so flippant that you don't think that there was any uh, trial and tribulation with it. But I was blessed with parents who knew I was unique um, from a very early age. Uh, we use the word weird a lot in my family, but in a very loving manner. Um, my mom was a uh, county extension agent, and so I was in 4-H from fifth grade on and memorizing speeches in front of people, and everyone's nervous when they get up in front of folks, or most folks are. So to, to, to say that that's a symptom of autism would be cheap, but what that did do was allow me to, um, to get over my social awkwardness. Um, when you have a group of people to give a speech to or talk to, you don't have to look at any one person, just have your eyes engaged and float over the bunch. And along the way, my, my parents never thought that there was something wrong with me. There were just certain areas in which I was sensitive and needed some help to deal with the social anxiety. When I got home, I was extremely happy to play with myself. I was never morose or hiding away, listening to emo music and doing terrible things to myself. But, you know, I I used that time to kind of recharge. So to kind of sum up, you know, growing up with autism was much more frustrating than now that we understand kind of what it is and how to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I feel like you you fit in really well. And i I I never would have known. And I guess, Carolyn, when you first started dating Cliff, like, did you recognize that, that he was autistic? Well, for me, 
you know, the woman in me couldn't get past how handsome he was. You know, my eyes were fixed on trying to look at his eyes. And the whole, you know, first flirtatious type of eye contact was not happening because he didn't want to hold a gaze. And I kept thinking, what am I doing wrong? And then at some point I realized that he was actually getting uncomfortable. The more I looked at him, he would get even more uncomfortable. It was kind of working against me. So luckily I picked up on that pretty quick and I started not looking at him as much. And then I found him looking at me and I thought, well, okay, this will work too. So I really just, the, the initial eye contact, I could tell after I got past my, you know, my cupid strike in the heart, you know, I realized he needed some time to have an opportunity to look at me without me staring at him. So that was different for me, you know, but um, I'm glad I caught on to that part. Me too. <laughs> What were some other challenges that you guys faced, especially early on? I think as Cliff was diagnosed so late in life, I think that there were parts of his life where he was really frustrated with general society. So he had built up a lot of personas and protection measures for himself and how he dealt with this, the public and certain people generally. And for me, it was trying to understand why he behaved that way or why he thought of people a certain way. And when I realized more and more, you know, certain little ticks would come out, and I realized, oh, those are probably autistic ticks. Um, and he's such a brilliant man, and he's so handsome on top of it, and he's so well-spoken, and he has a great voice. All these things come together for this amazing man. But then you realize, why is all this frustration coming out of him towards other people? And then I started to realize that, oh, he's just having a hard time interpreting people's social cues, what they actually mean. And so I think with folks that are like Cliff that have high-functioning autism, which is all I can speak about because that's all I've been exposed to, you know, they take people literally. So if you tell them turn right at the next right and then you turn two more streets up at the next right after that, they're confused. So, well, you didn't turn right. Why didn't you turn right? And you try to explain to them, well, I did turn right. I just didn't turn out that right. You know, that's very frustrating for them because they're very literal. Do exactly what you say you're going to do. And maybe that's really a blessing because enough people don't do what they actually say they're going to do. They do something different and want you to just adapt regardless. So um, I caught on to that very quickly. So now if I say turn right, I mean that exact right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Well, I know that the, like one of the common things that we talk about when we talk about things that are difficult for autistic people is like physical touch mm. is is uncomfortable. How have you adopted a way to work around this? Because most people don't even think about it, you know, touch you on the shoulder just to get past you or something. Right. It's, and again, it, I've often thought, like, you know, how do I put this in, in a framework without sounding melodramatic? And I don't think anybody likes it when somebody they don't know just busts up on them and wants to give them a hug. A, there should be a natural moment of, whoa, you know, if your parents taught you, right, flight or flight, stranger danger kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I think we've all got a little bit of that, but... Um, when, when you have autism and you leave the house, you kind of put on an armor. And again, everybody kind of does that to some degree, but, um, mine locks down my ticks or stimming as it's called with autism. Um, I'll click my teeth. I'll sometimes grunt or, or hum off key. I work my feet a lot because all of that is, uh, are nervous reactions to life. And, um, it, it, they can be embarrassing. Um, uh, when someone sees you doing one of your little twitches, it makes you want to do it 10 times worse than you did before, but then you're more embarrassed to do it. So when it, when it came to physical touch, um, it, was, it was always an issue with relationships because um, I could only take so much, 
like physical contact, hugging and stuff like that. And Carolyn was one of the, it was the first person to ever say like, why does this make you uncomfortable? Because I can understand why someone that I was dating would feel offended, but I was still withdrawal after so much time. Um, and it was always when I didn't know it was coming, you know, um, when I really, really, when I know you like family or real close friends, hugging and being happy that there's, there's no hesitation there. But with most people, because I'm so concentrated on not stimming and not looking as uncomfortable as I feel most times. When I learned how to speak in, in, in public, I learned how to kind of go into a room and often I, I will sweat through my clothes. I mean, I'm doing that right now and I've, I've done shows like this for almost four years. But I, to, to deal with it in, in the physical contact deal, I realized I, now I was diagnosed with autism. I'm 44 now and I was diagnosed when I was 40, 41. And I don't feel like I've lost anything. In fact, it was this blessing because it didn't, I don't feel like it pigeonholed me. I just knew why I reacted the way I do. And knowing what that is and going out in the public and registering in real time, everything's going to be fine. No one's going to attack you. Everything's going to be all right. Um, it was taxing, but I still did it. Having Carolyn there, I mean, honestly, it, it was someone that when she sees me frustrated where somebody says something, but their log body language and everything about them says something else. Carolyn's the first one to see that in, through my eyes and say, well, no, they, they really mean this. So I call her my people whisperer. <laughs> so she's, she's helped me get over a lot of the physical contact issues. Yeah. I could definitely see that being difficult in a relationship. And there are all those different languages of love and physical contact is one of them. Yeah. Um, Carolyn, in your opinion, what do you think is the most important quality to nurture in this type of a relationship? I think really, the, really, really, really the most important is patience, you know, because we all come from different backgrounds, different, you know, love relationships, good relationships, failed relationships, trauma, family, environment, all these things come together to create the person we are. Um, but when it comes to me and Cliff, the first going back to the physical touch thing real quick is, you know, when I realized that I was making him uncomfortable while I was, you know, doing my girl thing and checking him out because I was, you know, interested I kind of kept that in the back of my mind and I realized that it's probably going to be the same way with physical touch. You know, if it's a hug or a kiss on the cheek or a holding of the hand, you know, so I, I realized that I, I best not come in hot. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Don't come in real hot because I don't want to scare him away. You know, I want him to check me out too. So if he has to check me out from a sideways glance, at least, I'm, you know, I feel good he's checking me out and he's interested. And But I had to learn patience, not just towards him, but towards myself. It takes a lot of internal strength and awareness of yourself to say, you know what, maybe you want to go over there and give him a big old hug and big old kiss on his cheek and, you know, you know, give him a little squeeze, you know, but that's what I want to do. Is that really what he wants? Yeah. You know, and, and most people might say, well, he should just accept you. And if he, it's just a way to show love and he should just be thankful. And, well, that's a bunch of BS because that's really me imposing my will on him. And if I really want it to be sincere and, and, you know, genuine from both of us, I need him to be able to initiate also. I, I can't just smother my intentions on him. And it's funny that we relate this to autism, really, but how many people just do that in general? You know, their, their, their relationships are affected by loving someone to death, literally. You know, it's like, give them some space. Like, maybe they don't want you snuggling up on them. They're not mad at you if they don't want to snuggle at night. Maybe they're just tired, you know, like... It's not personal all the time. It's not about you all the time. Maybe you have to consider what, what that other person is ready for or wanting for to begin with. You know, so not coming in hot, 
and giving him the freedom to express himself towards me without me being, you know, needy. Yeah. And I have to be sound in my person and in my own feminine abilities, you know, to not put that extra pressure on him. I think but I do like his smooches. I will, I'm just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so glad you said that. I think that's such a wonderful like life lesson for anyone in any relationship. Is It's not just about you. And you have to sometimes recognize that somebody else or the other partner doesn't want what you might want them to want. And that's okay. And you shouldn't take it personally. It's not necessarily about you. It's about them. So I guess... Going along those lines, like since February is the month of lovers, <laughs> do you have any other um, advice for for people who are you know, deeply in love but maybe having some hard time finding a balance? Um, I would say like it, never. You don't want to if if you if if you're dating someone with autism, um, bars, uh, club scenes, anything with a lot of people and a, and, and, and a great deal of noise, um, it. it It'll take every ounce of energy we have to not show how uncomfortable we are by that scene, and it, it's not—it's it, you know—it's not because the alcohol is present or because you know you don't like the band. Autism is like taking in stimuli from the external world in shock waves. I mean, it, everything—the smells and the lights—and we typically don't like bright lights. We don't like um, starch clothes. The way things smell and feel uh, is, is very particular to us. We can be extremely stubborn people. Um, so again, as Carolyn's talking about being patient, it's, it's you know, there's responsibility on me who has autism to better understand it and, and show that same patience and understanding in, in return. Um, many of us have uh, little peculiarities. Like I, when I go into a restaurant, um, and it's good to pick one that's kind of quiet with tables spaced far apart. Um, but I have to sit with my with my, I can't sit with my back to people. As much as I don't like to be stared at, I feel more uncomfortable when I can't see what's going on, and I have to be able to sit with a the exits are, and then I've been on dates before where, like, trying to explain that makes you feel like you've got something you're hiding from underneath. But Carolyn was the first one to go, okay, I don't care where I sit, and it was just like, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so it, it's, you know, and, and just and really just ask the, if, if, if you see or you sense that they, that someone that you're dating with autism is, is uncomfortable, stop and kind of step to the side, because we're not used to being able to say, this is why we're upset, because we feel like that's weird that anyone would be upset by that certain thing. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's the, the communication and, and for me with autism, it was always that, that fear of being found out. And when you're with somebody who truly sees you and is not shaken by that at all, um, as again, as it is with everyone, it makes a tremendous amount of difference in how comfortable I am when I get out in the world. Yeah. I would add to that too, that for Valentine's day or any of the major holidays or, or special occasions, more so with person with autism is to really what I've discovered with Cliff is he's not really keen on surprises. So it, he gets really anxious and it just adds to his anxiety and insecurities and whatnot about society itself when, when he doesn't know what's coming up or where we're going or what's going to happen or who's going to be there or what's the environment going to be. So it's, well, you know, in theory, it's, you know, exciting and romantic to throw a surprise, but in application, it's it's a tragedy. It's a, you know, it's a horrible so just talk about things that you both like to do. Talk about the environment that you both prefer and then start with that and then figure out where you want to go from there. Because doing something last minute, showing up somewhere where you don't know where the parking is, you don't know how it is to get to the front door, you don't know where you're going to go inside to the table, who's going to be in there. All of those things just add that extra layer of anxiety that doesn't need to be there. 
So that's what I would say. Well, thank you guys. I've enjoyed this conversation very much. <laughs> we have to. And thank all y'all for tuning in for the February 2020 Dante's Old South. I send out love to all our guests for their time and so far Sounds of Atlanta for all the music you hear this evening. Remember to be kind to each other and yourself. But before I let you slip away, let's listen to Pretty Please by Emily Hope. Tell me I'm gorgeous, but I can't afford it Cause you know, beauty comes with the price And when it gets too high It's not so nice at all And just the further I fall My body, my hair, my face Never completely erased And these thoughts in my brain Oh, they're always the same Say, pretty please Won't you stay with me? Don't be like everybody else Can I have some more? Pretty please Maybe then you'll stay with me Cause I just can't love myself Spin me around and show me off downtown But you know There comes a time when the lights go out And in front of big crowds I don't feel proud It's just a further I drown My body, my hair, my face Never completely erased And these thoughts in my brain Oh, they're always the same Say, pretty please Won't you stay with me? Don't be like everybody else Can I have some more? Pretty please Maybe then you'll stay with me Everything they say.